Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for your church, for preserving it, for sending your gifts to us, that in the midst of much change, the unchangeable gospel may go forward. Uh, We pray that as we enter through this season of Advent and Christmas coming up, that you would bless us in our worship together and in our fellowship together. And we pray uh, that you'd continue to bless this church uh, with your word and with your gifts that you give so mightily. We pray this through, all through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be our last session of Lutheranism 101 until the new year. Um, there's um, Next Wednesday is going to be Thanksgiving Eve. And then we have the, there's a kind of an extra week. This year, because of how Advent falls, with Christmas uh, Eve being on a Sunday, so it's kind of a weird. It's a short Advent this year, um, so we have an extra week. But I, I don't think it makes much sense to, to to have Thanksgiving Eve and then do Lutheranism 101 and then and then go into Advent midweek. So I'd rather just take the week off. I think so. Um, We'll do Thanksgiving Eve, we'll have the next week off, and then it'll be Advent midweeks. Yeah, then we'll be starting the season. Yep, yep. Okay. And then, and then we'll pick back up in the new year. All right, so um, that's where we're at. Last week, we discussed modern revolutions in the church, and we're going to finish that this week. Mm-hmm. And really what we're trying to do here is discuss this uh, kind of modern history, if you will. So... Um, the, the things that have majorly affected the world in the last couple hundred years, and especially America, and how that affects the church, right? So it's easy when you talk about Lutheran history, uh, and especially Lutheran history in America, you can focus on just the denominations and the mergers and all of that, and all of that kind of thing. But um, really, I think a lot of the things that affect the church are – influences from outside the church right and we discussed last week especially the technological and industrial revolutions and how those affected the way that we do church right and over and over again throughout lutheranism 101 in the past couple years we've been saying when did this change in the church right this used to be different and it 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 always seems like it's the 1960s and 70s right so what led up to the 1960s and 70s and um so on and so forth. Yeah, we're, we're kind of off book, yeah, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, no, you're fine. Um, we're, we're kind of off book here. So um, I am going to, I think, read one thing out of the book tonight. Um, I'll tell you I'll tell you what page it is when I get there. I don't even, I don't even have it yet. So, okay, but last week we talked about um, the first big modern revolutions of that affected the church, the technological and industrial revolutions, and we talked about um, – we did talk about some hopeful things, right? Like we talked about the Lutheran Hour mm-hmm. and how radio was able yeah. to be used to spread yeah. the gospel. But we also talked about um, some of the changes in worship that came about because of the technological revolution, um, how there was less visitation and less Bible reading. So anyway, you can go back and listen to those, but or listen to that what we talked about last week. Um, I do want to reiterate one more thing, though, which is – Uh, A couple of caveats I gave last week, I'll give again tonight, which is that whenever we're talking about this history, um, we're not talking about individuals, 
we're talking about history, right? So we're talking broad strokes about just general trends that have happened in society. And uh, especially when we get into um, the 20th century, obviously um, all of us in this room lived at some point during the 20th century. And uh, I'm not making any value judgments on, again, on any individual people, right? This is about um, – because that in all time periods in the church, there have been faithful and unfaithful people, faithful and unfaithful individuals. Um, but this is talking about general trends, right? Um, so just because I talk about the 1970s and we see some negative things that may have come about in the 1970s, I'm not saying if you lived in the 1970s, you're, you're a terrible person. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. There's no proof. That's right. not Facebook. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm not saying it's your fault. That's what I'm saying. Maybe there's some things that we should have done. All right. Well, and and, uh, and it, it is always good to reflect on our lives, too. And, and, you know, there's things that if I could – there's I'm sure this is true for everyone. If I could go back in the past, I'd change some things that I did, right? Um. All right, so it's also not a value judgment on specific um, – like last time we talked about some specific technologies. Um, something that's going to come up again tonight is like things that are different in cities versus rural areas. I'm not saying that like just because someone lives in a city or that a city exists that it's evil, right? I'm just saying that there are certain things that can happen in cities that can't happen in rural areas, right? So. Again, um, just some caveats here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, we're going to try and tie things to the LCMS as much as possible. But, of course, this is a little bit broader than the LCMS. So, okay. That's where we're at. All right. So last time we talked about technological and industrial revolutions. This time we're going to talk about the sexual revolution. And the sexual revolution, um, oftentimes we think about it starting in the 60s, but really it starts um, in the 1920s. Yeah, with 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 the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we'll say this goes kind of through the. Um, of course, it's still in some ways going on today, but the um, foundation of it kind of continues to build. Through the 70s. So um, those are the dates, at least, that we'll give it to it. All right, now some of the sexual revolution stuff um, was covered in that Even Exile documentary um, that we watched a while back. Um, so if you ever want to watch that again, um, I can try and get you the uh, login to watch that um, on, the, on the thing that it's on. I don't know if they ever came out with a DVD or not. But um, they did come out with a, a man version of that uh, that we watched in men's group, which was pretty good. So I thought about showing it as part of Lutheranism 101, but um, decided just to do it for the men's group. But we can, if anyone is interested, again, I, we can get those watched at some point again. I'm going to show both of those, I think, to the uh, college students at some point. Anyway, it's beside the point. All right, so um, yeah, even exile. If you're, if you ever want to watch that again, or if you weren't here or whatever, let me know. All right, so let's kind of just make our way through this uh, sexual revolution, and then we'll try and make some connections to the church. So 
the first thing is what we kind of already mentioned there is the Roaring Twenties, right? And uh, this is the first time that some of the things that we talked about last week in the technological and industrial revolutions bring about um, really give rise, I think, to the Roaring Twenties. And in the Roaring Twenties, you have, um, especially in the cities, you have a new kind of city entertainment, right, with these uh, kind of dancing girls. Um, what were they called? The flappers. Yeah, the flappers, the flappers right? I was there. I knew these things. <laughs> I don't think you were there. I don't think you were there in the 20s. No. Kind of dumb. My mother was born in 1920. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. They wore the dresses. They wore the They called them flappers because their dresses shook. And they had The dance of Charleston. Yeah. The dance of Charleston. In fact, they wore little things. I'm like, this ain't. And, uh, yeah. So then you, and you also in the 20s, you had the ability to record things like that, right? So you had the uh, distribution of this entertainment where, like, if you think about before the that technology existed, like, if you wanted to see dancing, you had to go dancing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you had to go to somewhere that dancing was happening. And it was generally much more formal and, and more modest like right balls. before this time, right? Yeah, to go to balls. Or even with music, Ballroom. right? Yeah. Like, um, I sometimes I think about this uh, randomly when I'm uh, working out because they have like music blasting at the gym. It's my least favorite thing about the gym. They have music <laughs> blasting at the in the gym. And um, it's kind of like in some sense unnatural that we can listen to music anytime, anywhere, right, today, like with headphones and stuff. And I do it. I mean I listen to music. Um, but there was a time in history where recording technology didn't exist, right? And if you wanted to listen to music, you either had to make the music – Right or or go mm-hmm. listen to somebody right church. and and yeah and church was the main place that that happened right mm-hmm. and now um, the the main place that you get kind of that um, social entertainment if you will of music and dancing and, and these kinds of things is outside the church right where that that really the the main stay for most people throughout history where they would get that kind of social entertainment was was in church partly through church music but then even like you know church events right uh-huh. you know. yeah a lot of the great singers right now started out singing in church yeah mm-hmm. there's i think there's always been a connection to that yeah so anyway so this is uh the roaring 20 um but you have uh really this kind of new city entertainment also you have Part of this is propagated by the economic prosperity um, immediately following World War One, right? So um, after both world wars, there's kind of economic booms, right? And uh, when you have economic prosperity, you people are more willing to to try different things, right? To do new to things, be wild. to be wild. Right? Have, <laughs> people are less conservative. They're less conservative with their with what they're gonna. You know, with their entertainment, with all sorts of things, right? Um, 
the 20s is also when uh, marriage gets pushed, starts getting pushed to a later date, right? I mean, um, it was not uncommon before the 20s and even um, up through the 70s for people to get married uh, well before 20, like, at, you know, maybe 16, 17. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I, but... To, to kind of put that in perspective, right? So I got married at 21, and most people think I'm insane. Mm-hmm. Like when I tell people that. Um, I and, and then I say... And, you, you were younger than me, so... I was 17. I was graduated. There you go. That's great. I mean, I don't... I, I have no problem with it. Like, obviously, um, women are childbearing at that age, so it's built into God's creation that they can probably get married around then too i mean i don't mm-hmm. see a huge problem with it but um i i mean i see economic problems with it today like it's it's mm-hmm. in some ways it's economically difficult if uh people want to get married when they're 18 or whatever but i've seen i've never seen um like people who get married young they don't have any higher divorce rates than people who get wait to get married. Actually, people who wait to get married until they're older tend to have higher divorce rates. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is kind of counterintuitive, but that's that's what it is. Um, you grow up together. Yeah, you grow up together. Yeah. I, I work with somebody who got married when she's fourteen. Really? Mm-hmm. Had a child when she's fifteen. That's pretty young. That's very young. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's real young. I don't, and I don't think that's like I don't think that's historically normal. My mother had to sign for me because I was Oh yeah, yeah. But back then they did get married young. Yeah, they did. They did. There was really no reason not to. Yeah. Because when they got to a twenty-something, my daddy, because my daddy was born in nineteen hundred and thirty. Uh-huh. And he said back then when women got in their late 20s, 30s, oh, yeah. they would consider uh, oh, okay. yes. okay. yes. yes. I will also say that's right. I'll also say that your average 16 year old in 1915 was probably a lot more capable yes. like a 16 year old yes. boy Mel, man. He was probably actually a man by 16, (laughs) unlike a lot of 16-year-olds today. (laughs) So, and I include myself in that. I was not a, I was not a um, good man by 16. (laughs) So, Um, I'm a product of my times. Uh, All right. So then, um, you also start to get increased sexual activity outside of marriage in the 20s. So the 20s is really when um, birth control gets popularized for the first time. And this, again, is an example of the technological revolution influencing um, the, the sexual revolution. So I don't know how familiar you are with this, and I won't go into do too deep a detail, but um, the invention of rubber in the Industrial Revolution is what led to the first birth control. So the first uh, popular birth control was – it was basically uh, – um, well, Matthias isn't here tonight, so I'll just tell you. But, um, I wonder if that look when you kind of got started up. Yeah, that's part of why he's like, what's that word? 
Yeah. Um, so it was ba- the first birth, popular birth control was basically an inverted condom. So it was something that the woman wore um, during intercourse. And it was, yeah, like, you, anyway, I'm not going to go into any greater detail than that. But um, that was made available by the invention of rubber, right? And that was really the first um, popular birth control. Uh, I mean, a lot of that hidden secretive you know like all the movie stars all the women yeah it was it was still looked down upon it it was somewhat unpublic the person who was really trying to publicize it um if you want to look up this person which it's funny a lot of people think this person when you bring up her name existed in the 60s and 70s which really she didn't she was actually in the 20s um, this is a lady by the name of Margaret Sanger. Oh, oh yeah. 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 yeah, she was actually in the 20s, and she um, she was the one popularizing birth control. She was also trying to popularize abortion, and she founded Planned Parenthood. Um, all right, so this is the Planned Parenthood person. But um, it, it was actually in the 20s, and the main thing, the like her first book – was was really about how women should be using these this new kind of birth control, um, but the the birth control was not um, really for people to have less children per se. It was really so that people could be um, free to have sex with whoever they wanted, right? It was kind of anti-marriage. Um, it wasn't really about controlling children within the marriage at first. It was really just people can have sex outside of marriage now, right? Um, so, uh, that's, that's where that, and if you remember that Even Exile movie, this, this whole thing that we're talking about here, this is, a what's often called first wave feminism. Um, and then the final thing that goes along with that is the, um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. Is uh, women's suffrage is the other thing that comes along with that, right? Yeah. 1920s. Yeah. And um, it is interesting if you go back and read the debates. I mean, it seems like such a non-controversial thing today, right? Like anyone who still like thinks that women shouldn't vote is like living in the Stone Ages or something like that, right? But um, I will say it's interesting if you go back and read the debates because the argument to why women shouldn't vote was that it will divide families, right? That's the that was the argument. It wasn't like the way it's portrayed today in the history books is like, well, there was a bunch of people who hated women and thought that they were like less human or something like that. That's really not what people were arguing. Um, it was that if women and men can vote and a husband and wife vote for opposite people in an election, then the household is divided, and that's not good, right? Um, so really, it should be like a household vote was the I, was the idea. Now, um, obviously, we're way past those debates ever happening today. But um, I do want to kind of just give that little bit of a correction to the history books is that I, I mean, I'm sure there were some men out there somewhere who were like, you know, d- that didn't like women or something like that. Um, but. I think that is portrayed a little bit falsely in, in media today. Anyway, all right, so um, – but you can see in that, the, the um, again, a lot of these things, right, the birth control, the suffrage, all of these things are kind of focused at dividing the family. Mm-hmm. So 
This is the, the big first wave of the sexual revolution. All right, then the, uh, the 30s and 40s is kind of interesting because what happens in the 30s and 40s? Two, two big things. Well, there's right? the stock market. Crash. Yeah, the Great Depression. The Great Depression and then the and war. Then, and then World War II, right? Mm-hmm. And both of those things are rather depressive, yeah. right? And they're also depressive on the revolution, right? So they, they kind of tamp down what's happening with the, the whole Roaring Twenties. Um, and the, the whole um, sexual revolution gets somewhat subdued, right? Like there's a lot less um, talk about – there's a lot less kind of <coughs> growth of this kind of entertainment that started in the Roaring Twenties. Um, there's a lot less – sexual deviancy that started in the Roaring Twenties, a lot of these things get tamped down because what are people focused on? They're focused on caring for their families, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're focused on on being food. family together, right? Mm-hmm. On getting food, mm-hmm. right? Uh, these, these types of things. Um, so there's this um, kind of depressive effect, if you will, of the Great Depression and World War II. Um, the one thing that kind of comes up, it'll come up in the in the uh, 50s and 60s with the World War II, is that um, in World War II, that's really uh, that is when women start to go uh, into the workplace, right? Um, as the men are off at war, right? So this is that that has a kind of lingering effect later on that we'll talk about. All right, but um, that's really what's happening in the 30s and 40s is that that revolution spirit, if you will, um, gets subdued for the first time in a while, right? Because uh, everything gets focused on the war and on on the economy. Yeah, Steve. Uh, prohibition came along at that time too. So I'm not yeah. sure exactly what year it was. It started in the early 20s and ended in about the mid 30s. Because I was thinking it kind of covered both those periods. Yeah, and yeah, the, it's kind of yeah. And the pro- prohibition is kind of an interesting thing because it was somewhat of a reaction to the Roaring Twenties, right? Like mm-hmm. conservative. You know, basically, like conservative Christians, and I'm not saying when I say conservative Christians, I'm not saying they were, you know, right, but a lot of their reaction to the Roaring Twenties was like, these people are wild. We need to, they, you know, they need to not be getting drunk and going acting crazy, right? But it um, really didn't. If you read about it, it actually sort of fed that Twenties yeah, frenzy, right? Because it made well, because it had alcohol, making alcohol. Another taboo. taboo. Yeah. yeah, and they did, and, and that, that's what they like. So. And the gangsters and all. And it, right. it, yeah, it, so it, there, there was a, there was the issue. There's definitely the issue of taboo, um, there as well. So, it's a another another complicated issue, but it is kind of yeah, it's kind of interesting how that fits in. Um. All right, now. Uh, Let's uh, talk about the 50s, I suppose, right? So then the 50s is interesting, right? Because what do people think about when they think about the 50s? Ward and Gene Cleaver. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, they, and they think – when people think about the 50s, they think about Christian America. Yeah, that's my problem. Right? And, stay-at-home wife. Yeah, stay-at-home wife and all this. Well, how did that happen? Well, kind of what happened there is that after, after the war and the Depression – People are still kind of in that subdued – the revolution spirit is still kind of subdued, right? Um, there, but there is also 
economic prosperity after the war. And so you do get the baby boom, right, beginning beginning at this point, right? You get the baby boom. Um, however, what it is kind of interesting, um, you also have uh, the kind of depressed revolution, if you will, because you, you do have this um, anti-communist conservatism, right, with the Cold War starting and the, um, you know, things like the space race starting and coming right off the heels of World War II, that there is this kind of conservative feel in America, right, at this point. Um, and the uh, also, like, coming off the heels of World War II, um, we mentioned the women go to work, right, in World War II. Well, now they get to come back home, right, when the men come home. And so the women are back at home, right, and there's economic prosperity, and that leads to the baby boom, right? And so you have the stay-at-home wife with the, the baby boom and everything. Now, if you remember in even exile, at this point then what, what starts to happen is um, the techno technological and industrial revolutions that happened have now created, and especially after um, all the, the big manufacturing boom in the 40s, have uh, created all these like time-saving devices, Right for for women at home, so you have dishwashers and better refrigerators and freezers and stuff. In the 50s, I wish I could still get one of those. Right, <laughs> my freeze, fridge and freezer only probably last like you know five years now. Oh, but, that's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if you could get a 50s one, it was good. It's gonna yeah. last forever. And so um, while the women are back at home, they're not spending as much time um, doing the things of the home as that used to need to be done. Right. And it, you can kind of see some of that 20s mentality starting to creep back in a little bit. Right. Um, because there is, again, this kind of freedom in some ways that is there. Now, um, what else do I want to say about that? The um, the other interesting thing about the 50s is that if you do look at birth rates, right, you do have this big baby boom. So a lot of people have multiple children kind of all all in the the same you know decade or so um even going uh maybe a little bit into the 60s so i think like my dad was born in 60 and i think most people say the baby boom ends in like 61 or 62 so basically in the 1950s yeah mm -hmm. i didn't know that yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah you're a tail end baby boom. i'm a tail end okay. yeah tail end or like yeah <laughs> The next generation is Generation X, which is kind of hard yeah, to the define. The next generation, I never knew. Really. Yeah, so it's uh, the greatest generation were like the people that fought in World War II. Mm -hmm. And then you have the baby boomers, um, so like their kids, and then Gen X. And no, then, and Gen then, X, I hope not. Yeah, that's what you but Gen, Gen X and millennials kind of get longer, it seems, because Gen X is like people born like in the all the way in the mid 60s until like. 1980 so that's like 25 years so that's kind of a large generation in that sense um although it's the smallest generation uh demographically like because there's way less kids in gen x but then millennials is like 1980 to like 97 so like 15 years or something like that so i'm a tell-in how do they figure that yeah i don't know 
I don't know. Because I never understood how they figured yeah. it. I know, because I was reading something a lot ago. I thought, how could it be millennial and that didn't go to the Yeah, that'll be too fast. Yeah, I think 2000 makes more sense. Yeah. Like, you're just like 1980, 1980 to 2000 is 20 years. Always yeah. And then, and then the new one is Gen Z. Yeah, yeah that's um, the end of one. Which millennials were millennials were supposed to be Gen Y. It was supposed to be X Y Z, but then somehow millennial caught on instead of Gen Y. But anyway, so then Gen Z is like 2000 to 2020 or whatever, um, and sometimes they're called the Zoomers. Uh, so the because they're zooming or something. And now the like my kids are gonna be for the most part. Um, like kind of tail end zoomers or whatever the next thing is, which mm-hmm. I don't really know. So who makes that up? I I don't know. The generation people, <laughs> obviously. I mean, I just wondered. Probably the news people. They did a story and it caught on. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, it's probably like news I media. Just <laughs> and then Google um, I mean, there's like uh the who are the um there's like in in uh, academia there's gerontology which is like the study of aging i wonder mm-hmm. i wonder if the gerontologists come up with it mm-hmm. maybe i don't know or sociologists i guess mm-hmm. they probably come up with it it's probably mm-hmm. it's probably academia and news media yeah, anyway i do find it kind of helpful as a side note to um think about generations as you know as you go through some of this stuff because you see how different people are influenced and then mm-hmm. um like even for minute as we're talking about as it relates to the church for ministry like i talk to the college students way different than i talk to baby boomers right for instance like um there's just a different language and in some ways you probably wouldn't understand (laughs) well so like and it it also has to do with like what's like um and like what what's uh, allowed to be talked about, like what's within the like obviously if someone asks me a, a direct question, I'll tell them what I think. But um, there are topics that are more taboo for for some generations than for others, mm-hmm. right? So it, uh, anyway, all right, um, where are we at here? So that yeah, 1950s. Oh yeah, what I was gonna say is it, it is interesting with the baby boom. You do have a lot of people having children mm-hmm. but there is with the um, what i mentioned with the birth control earlier there there is a the family unit does get smaller to if you go back before the roaring 20s right so um the family unit starts to shrink in the roaring 20s and then it never really gets as big as it was mm-hmm. um before the before the 20s so even like uh ward and june cleaver right um leave it to beaver that's the name of the show um there's they only have two kids right and and, um what's the what's the other one that's not the one i was that's not any of them i was thinking of yet <laughs> What's the? I was thinking of the what the comedian. Um, Danny Thomas. No, mm-hmm. although he's pretty funny. But oh. Uh, the it's like his name and and then the show you know but. Uh, Danny Thomas. No. no. In, in the fifties. Yeah. 
Dick Van Dyke? Yeah, Dick Van Dyke Dick show. Dick Van Dyke. Oh, that was, that was more like hostages or seven. I got the trivia. Yeah, what's the... <laughs> they just had one. But they just had one. Yeah, the double yeah. single beds. Yeah. 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 Double single beds. Oh, yeah. But they only have one kid. Yeah, they only have one kid. And he's like never around either. Yeah. Um, I, I do like the Dick Van Dyke show, though. Um, I like how they just drink coffee all day. But when I was growing they wake up, up every, 9 p.m. Everybody almost coffee, coffee. that I went to school with, there were lots of kids in the families. Mm-hmm. You know, like we had four in our family. Well, we yeah. had five, but my sister mm-hmm. had. But there were, like, yeah. a lot of people and so I there, was friends with. There is a distinction between what they show in Hollywood and mm-hmm. what is on and what's in real life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the families were slightly bigger in the uh, in real life than they were on, in Hollywood. Yeah. But um, they still don't get like you. It still was very rare, I think, in the 50s, if I remember the stats correctly, to have for a family to have any more than like yeah five or six kids. Yeah. Um, that was my dad's youngest sister. She had eight. She actually had ten. Two passed. So yeah, they yeah, a bunch. yeah. There's a, and there is always. I mean, there's always going to be some big families. Twelve. Yeah, twelve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the larger ones I thought was because they're farmers and yeah. Yes. Yeah, and well, and the, the, that is another thing too. It, it's um, it's a little bit different in the '60s or in the in the in the cities. That's all I meant to say. Cities and 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 rural places too. Like rural places, it always takes longer for trends to hit rural places than it does to hit cities, right? Um. And then but, they had to have all those children to be able to keep up on the farm. Right. That's right. what my mom yeah. Yeah. said. Yeah. And yeah. apparently Margaret Sanger's book never got to steal Missouri. Because <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's good. <laughs> Neither did birth control. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's probably better. Um, but you know what? That was a, an awesome family. I think I talked about this. Oh, yeah. About how close they all were because it's just Jim and his younger brother now. That's all that's left. And it it was it could have been a, a TV show, a family kind of thing. Right. Like the Waltons. A very close yeah. Christian family. Yeah. 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 Um all right. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean I think big families are great, obviously. You better we need to talk to you. All right. So then that brings us up to uh, the 60s, the, the, the finally the 60s and 70s, right? Um, when a bunch of things finally did hit the church in some ways. Um, and well, actually, I want to mention something there, too. OK. Um, all right. Where am I? So then we in the 60s and 70s, what happens is we get the return of the sexual revolution. Right, so basically, uh, the um, the young adults really in the 60s and 70s, and um, it, you know, it kind of depends, but pick up a lot of things that some of their grandparents in the 20s um, w- were doing in the Roaring 20s, and you get the return of the sexual revolution. So um, you get skyrocketing rates of sex outside of marriage. Um, so you get the pill and you get condoms right so better better uh forms i guess if you want to say and if you want to use the term better but more efficient forms of 
or easier forms of birth control, uh, which allows for way more sex outside of marriage. You get in 1973, you get Roe v. Wade, um, but obviously abortion is has already been going on um, leading up to Roe v. Wade, and it's just the fact that Roe v. Wade happens just shows how popular abortion has become, right? Um, you get uh, a huge spike in divorce rates, which has been kind of least kind of steadily increasing since, and then you get, we're, we're floating around, we've been floating around 50% divorce rate in America now for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get, uh, let's see, divorce, uh, you get um, an increase in pornography, right? And especially um, a big increase in like video pornography, right? So before, um, there, and again, you can see the technological revolution creeping in here, right? Uh, there was, you know, pinup girls and these types of things, yeah. and it's kind of starting in the Roaring Twenties. Um, and obviously, there's always been some level of pornography in the world. Like, uh, you know, if you go to ancient Greek, there's going to be drawings of things, right? Right. But um, I will say the 1960s and 70s is interesting in the fact that this is the first time you get like live recordings of pornography right Mm. video recordings which is obviously it's kind of on a different level right um and then you can see how that's progressed today in that you can access anything Mm. at any moment on the internet right um phyllis uh her last name starts with an s she was showing uh uh feminism and that we're in the 60s and 70s. Phyllis Shackley or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Phyllis Shackley. I'll have to look that up. She was, she was a homemaker, but she she fought for women to become their own person. Do you really need a husband? If you do, it's mm-hmm. because you've got children. I mean, you want a child. But she was one who started the thinking of, Hey, I can just go have a baby without getting all the money influence, you know, divorce, no divorce, just go get a baby and raise a baby by myself. And yeah. so she was real big in the 60s. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. They had marches to uh, Washington. Yeah, that and that's called um, what what all that is about with a lot of those things I talked about is that second wave of feminism. Right, so we had the first wave of feminism in the 20s, and then second wave comes in in 60s, 70s, and now they say we're in third wave, hmm. which is very confused about itself because then you also have the trans movement, oh, and goodness. and the trans trans movement, movement trans movement and feminism are kind of weird because they they're kind of on the same side, but if if gender isn't really a thing. Then what really is feminism, right? <laughs> if gen, if if men can be women and women can be men and and anyone can be in anything they want to be, then what really is a woman, right? That like what is this thing that feminists are fighting for? So that's kind of an interesting uh, contradiction within the um, these revolutions, but. All right. Um, so you, then, of course, you get a massive drop in childbirth, right, in the 60s and 70s, and that's why Gen X is the smallest generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you get um, you also in the 60s uh, in the um, you have by the late 60s you have the peak of church attendance, 
Mm-hmm. Right? So um, I should have put this in the church section, but you have the peak of church attendance. And uh, ever since the late 60s, church attendance has, in America has dropped every year. Hmm. Right? Um, basically. I, I, I'm not sure if there's ever been a year where it's gone up and then gone back down. But if, if you look at the graph, it's pretty much a straight line. Down, yeah. Uh, Madeline O'Hare, she you know had a court case about taking Bibles out and praying in schools out yeah. in '64. So yeah, right. You get prayer. Taking us has school and yeah, and I mean it's steadily gone out. Like I mean you had, you did have like some schools that held on to it for a long time. Like when I was in elementary school. We would still pray, like there would be a, a teacher would say yeah. a public prayer before lunch. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you that's not happening anymore. I do not remember that in school. When I was in yeah. school, when I was, yeah, when you were a teacher, I just made sure, yeah, I just made sure nobody was standing outside my door. Yeah. There you <laughs> so go. they would. But when I was a, a, a child in elementary school, we read the Bible. We did. Yes. And yeah. every, you knew it was your turn. When when it was your turn, you, you had to write, read a verse out of the Bible. Yeah. Right. And, and this is very interesting. Uh, yeah. And that was in elementary school. Right. Yeah. But I tell you something. But it was in the South, too. That happened. Yeah, it held things like that held on yeah. in the South a lot longer. For now, sure. another thing that I think you should kind of put in the 60s and 70s, because mm-hmm. I thought about that. My dad and I had talked about that years ago. When their families were together, especially black families, when mm-hmm. they were together, and then they came up with welfare. Oh yeah. And then welfare wouldn't allow the fathers, right. the husbands, to stay with the family. Yeah, with the family. So, right. so the family. that split. The oh yeah. Family up. Yeah, and that's been terrible for uh, blacks in America. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's it started then. That that's mm-hmm. part of a huge fatherless problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that was long before the '60s. That was well, when they started welfare back in. Well, yeah, welfare started uh, coming out of the Great Depression, but, but the, the, the actual where they made those rules. rules right. yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. I, there was a purpose behind that. That's what they wanted to do. Yeah. 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 Well, in the state of Mississippi, after you've had your 13th child, they will. 13. 13. They will drive to your house, pick you up, and take you to the hospital if you want. So, they have a hysterectomy. So, I think 13 still in the house, but there was a lady that uh, Norman used to work with hmm. that uh, got to have that trip free. Hmm. But that was her thing. She could never, you know, get to the hospital. Hmm. Yeah, so. Oh, my God. Jeez. Um, you also have, uh, yeah, welfare is, a, a, that, that's an important point. I didn't yeah, include sure that on there. But um, I'll include that there. Uh, the... Um, a couple other just things like so much changes in this time, but um, you have in the go- in, within the government you have a kind of switch um, within conservatives from what are called the, the, I find this particularly interesting what are called like paleo conservatives um, to mostly neo what are called neo conservatives or neo means new right so the new conservative um, and the paleo paleo conservatives were all about, for the most part, um, decentralized government and family values. That was like their big things, right? The neoconservatives, and there are still some people who are kind of paleo-type conservatives, right? But paleo means like, like if you think about like a paleo diet, like it's very like natural-based, right? So it's like what's natural, um, right, to, to humanity, right? So families and small government. Um, the neoconservative was much more about 
uh, economic growth and and this is when you get a lot of pro-war, right? Um, and that goes for both conservatives and liberals in the government, but um, you get a bunch more government pro, pro-war government movements um, starting in the 60s and 70s, and we could talk about Vietnam and all that later if we wanted to. But um, and, and so that is kind of an interesting shift, right? Instead of family values, it's about economic growth, right? Mm-hmm. So just how does America get rich and then, and then kind of more globalization, if you will. Um, then you also get um, just kind of the general moral rebellion of the 60s and 70s, right? So sex, drugs, rock and roll um, type, types of ideas. Um, and the question is, like, why does this all happen? And I think a lot of it, it – so a lot of it is what we've already said, which is the things coming out of the technological and industrial revolution leading to the sexual revolution and those things kind of all growing together, right, as these seeds, if you will. And not that those things are all bad, right? Like we talked about some of the th- good things that come out of the industrial and technological revolution. Like, I mean, I'm happy that we have indoor plumbing. Right. For instance, um, I think the radio and the I think the Internet is not bad. Right. I think the Internet has a lot of helpful tools. I use the Internet every day. Right. But um, there with the with that kind of revolution, that kind of growth also comes uh, because we're corrupt by sin. It, it people use it for sin as much as they use it for good. Right. If not more. And so there are a lot of these things, right, that, that come about. Um, and, I, and the other thing I'll say is that you kind of get, like, values. I think about, like, values and behaviors as kind of this cycle, right? And that whatever values someone has, that's going to lead them to certain behaviors. But as people partake in certain behaviors, that's going to change their values, Right. Um, and so there's what seems to happen in the 60s and 70s. The best way I can explain it is that and for a lot of people. And again, it's broad strokes. There are faithful Christians during this time, too. But for a lot of people, this kind of becomes a negative feedback loop. Right. This this degenerative cycle, if you will. All right. So with all that um, uplifting. Yeah, that that comes about more in the 80s, but again, it kind of leads to it, right? Because you have, um, so once once sex gets taken out of marriage, that's also when homosexuality becomes bigger too, right? You read about like in in San Francisco and all where the homosexual population and then. That's probably not where AIDS. It is where AIDS started, but where it was in the 60s and 70s, there was just this huge. Yeah. Among the brown children. children. Yeah. And the, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, I read, I read of all of his books. Armistead Maupin wrote uh, Tales of the City about San Francisco, mm. for his newspaper, and then his newspaper articles became a book. And that was mm. like the main part of the late 60s and 70s was all about 
of the homosexual and then yeah. AIDS from that and what an impact it had on yeah. everything then. Yeah, it's quite crazy because, like, yeah, once sex gets taken out of marriage mm-hmm. and once marriage is not about a man and a woman right. in a, in a mm-hmm. God-made covenant. Well, it's kind then, of like we live in two different worlds because those of us who lived in that those decades who didn't do the right stuff. Yeah. We were living one life yeah, and the other sure. people were doing the other life. And then there, it's still that way today. Yeah. yeah, I think, no, it is true. I mean, you have, and I, and so we, even though we know all that went on, we didn't yeah. participate. So in that. one thing I'll say when we talk about modern revolutions and the church, we'll talk about how some of they connect. But one thing that I think is good today in that we don't live in the 19, you know, in 1903 anymore, right? Um, where the, in, in some sense, the church in America and America in general are very united, right? Um, th- you can see today some of the things that Jesus talks about with the church and the world being separate, right? Mm-hmm. That's very obvious. Mm-hmm. And I think... There have been some temptations, maybe sometimes in the 50s, maybe sometimes before that, um, or maybe like sometimes even in the like in the 1990s, um, things weren't that bad in the 90s. You know, the 90s was a pretty good decade um, in, yeah. in some ways um, that you kind of get these waves, right? Mm-hmm. And there are there's sometimes a temptation when things are good. To not see the separation of the church and the world, right? To not see that distinction, and it's in some ways it's good when things are bad because we can we can see the distinction, right? We can be honest about it. So, um, all right, let me talk just here about. Um, I, I'm going to go a little bit over time, but I want to mention some of the the church stuff, right? The revolution and the church, and how these revolutions change some of the things in the church. And, um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just jump into it. Okay, so I think all three of the revolutions, the industrial, technological, and sexual, um, led to a confidence in science and in human ability. And that kind of downgrades the doctrine of original sin, right? Because the doctrine of original sin teaches us that we're not capable in and of ourselves, right? We cannot come to God in ourselves. We cannot solve the world's problems by ourselves. We can't fix ourselves by ourselves, right? That's original sin. We're corrupt. I think that the revolutions inherently teach that original sin is not as bad as we thought it was, right? That's that's kind of the idea, is that we can fix everything, right? We can be our own gods, Right? There's a there's a pride that comes about in revolution. And so I think um, there's this natural downgrading of the practical doctrine of original sin. Now, that also leads to um, certain theological practices in um, the 60s and 70s and even starting before then um, in academia that are also bad. Right, so this is when theological liberalism enters the pictures as well, because enters the picture as well, because people think that we can solve the Bible. Right, they look at the Bible like a problem, and they think, um, you know, well, there, there's no way that the Bible is is really this 
infallible, inerrant word of God. Um, so we got to figure out what the real Bible is and what all the problems with it are and all these things. And um, there's no way Jesus really did those miracles. And um, you get this theological liberalism, right, mm-hmm. at this time, and that the Bible's not really God's God's word. Okay. Well, that happens. Um, that does come into the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. There were um, – so let me – this is the part of the book I, I did want to read here. And I know I'm well over time, but uh, – Do we – Yeah, the theological divide. Here we go. Yeah. All right, so um, – the, the biggest issue that – I'm going to kind of skim through this. The biggest issue that plagues the American Lutherans 20th century was theological liberalism and biblical inerrancy. Uh, so go on. Go down there. Um, following the Second World War – this is the last paragraph there. There was, even within the Missouri Senate, a growing fascination with, the, with these German theological insights. So a lot of theological liberalism – kind of comes out of Germany, um, interestingly enough, which is a whole other conversation. Um, this led to a number of new faculty members in the seminary in St. Louis to adopt what's called historical criticism, which is a form of biblical interpretation. You can see that little definition on the side, um, which in turn led to a grassroots and political backlash in the early 1970s. Ultimately, the majority of faculty walked out in 1974 in protest of what they saw as a lack of trust and limits to their intellectual freedom. Much to the surprise of the protesting faculty, the leadership of the Missouri Senate did not ask them to come back. And many of those who sided with the protesters, both in the seminary and the greater church uh, membership, left the Missouri Senate and eventually uh, they formed and joined the ELCA. Yeah, and this whole thing is called Seminex. Yeah, we, we lived through that. We and, had a vicar here at that time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the church was planted right around that time, right? No, no, we were at Trinity. Oh, at Trinity, you're talking about. We were at okay. Trinity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this whole Seminex thing happens, um, where basically there were liberals and conservatives within the Missouri Senate, and the liberals uh, left because they were th- they thought they were being treated poorly or whatever. Um, but yeah, again, that I think you can see. To some degree, the connection of this revolution spirit um, happening within the within the church there, right? All right. Um, then um, just a couple more things to think about as far as the church and the revolutions. So abortion in the LCMS is kind of an interesting topic. Um, the LCMS was never officially pro-abortion, but they were quietistic um, from the kind of 20s through the 50s. They were pretty quietistic. Uh, they they just did not say a lot about it, mm-hmm. um, and and that was the same with a lot of Protestants, right? Yep. That people just weren't talking about it. Now um, this is kind of somewhat. I have a personal connection to this. In 1979, a lady by the name of Jean Garten um, really kind of opened the floodgates to this, and she's the founder of Lutherans for Life uh, to this issue of abortion. Um, she wrote a book called Who Broke the Baby. My personal connection, just kind of fun fact, is that uh, my home church, Zion in a Villa in Arkansas, was the headquarters for Lutherans for Life because that's where Jean Garten went to church. And her husband uh, was the pastor who um, 
catechize my parents, right? Mm-hmm. So, fun fact, right? <laughs> um, so I knew uh, I knew Miss Jean growing up. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So she wrote "Who Broke the Baby." You can still get that book um, if you're interested in the history of that. All right. Um, but since then, the uh, LCMS has been pretty fervently pro-life, which is which is good, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, other effects of the revolutions, especially the sexual revolution, on the church, um, you have a natural decline in church uh, attendance, right, over time because not only like is there an overall decline in church attendance, but you also just have less children. Well, I was right? going to say there's less people. people yeah. Less and as people have less kids, right, the church doesn't naturally grow, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the natural church growth is is kind of nixed in some way. We had the Walter League back then too. You know, it, yeah. I don't know why we lost that. We yeah, yeah. There's been some attempts to kind of bring something like that back, but um, the what was it? The Walter League. There's a way for young people to meet each other, basically, oh, okay. like young, young Lutherans. Yeah. Oh, okay. My sister Carol was in it. Yeah. They would let us after we'd been confirmed, so we were like 13, 14. And um, the thing that really drove the Walter League, too, was also what we talked about last week, the popularity of the Lutheran Hour. So I think like um, um, Walter, I think Walter Meyer might have actually started the Walter League. Mm -hmm. And um, then he was like he would like be speakers for their events and stuff. And then there was a popular um, magazine that the Walter League put out for young people. Um, So that was all starting in the. I think that all started in the 30s. Um, One of the declines of the youth coming to church and families is because uh, we've now decided to have sports higher than church. Well, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's so, definitely true. I yeah. mean, if a child wants to even think possibly about getting a scholarship, they got to be in these sports and the right. leaders know, well, Sunday's going to be the best time to have all the competitions. Yeah. Well, and when I, I was growing up, nothing was open on Sunday. Sure. Right. Man, what's yeah. yeah, the the verse that always comes to mind when this topic comes up is what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? You know, like it's like who cares about a college scholarship, you know, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean it just it when you actually put it into perspective, it's silly, but anyway. Um also, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we, I think we have to like start like a chaplaincy program or something. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to solve that problem, but um, yeah. Uh, the other couple things here, real quick. I know I'm over time, but I did start ten minutes late, so. Um, you have new temptations, like literally new temptations for people in the church. Uh, like we talked about, like video pornography, right? This is a internet pornography is a new temptation for young men, in the, and not just young men either. Um, there's young women that get caught up in that too, but um, there's new temptations that the church has to deal with and preach on, right? Um, and then, uh, did you want to say something? Well, I just wanted to, whenever we come back, if we're going to be on the same topic a little bit, what, what you would do if we had somebody that was openly gay? They didn't want to talk to anybody about it, but they were gay. We've had a, a gay person member of our congregation mm-hmm. before. Yeah, um, obviously. I, I will write it down, and um, 
I'm going to punt right now and say I'm not going to answer it because, one, we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> but, but two, uh, if I don't answer it now, it gives me more time to think about it. So that's a good question. Um, all right, the last few things I'd written down just before we go is um, that I'll, I'll give you one more thing, and then I want to end on a hopeful note. The, the one last thing is um, you can go look this up. Vatican II happens in the 1970s, and Vatican II is a conference of uh, Roman Catholics, but um, what they do at Vatican II is basically say, okay, how are we going to handle the new world? Or something like that, right? And this is when the bishops in the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church make a ton of liturgical changes. They make a ton of doctrinal changes to what Roman Catholics are supposed to believe. Um, there's, it's a, and it's also very political. Uh, the, some of the history, I don't have time to go into it, but there are trickle down effects of Vatican II into the Missouri Synod. So, for for instance, this is a really minor one, but it just is. One of the things um, that happens is the uh, lectionary that we use, right? Uh, we use the um, one-year lectionary here, and the one-year lectionary is the lectionary that's basically existed since like the year 300 or something like that. Um, I mean, it's developed over time, but uh, the foundation of it has existed for a long time. The, the, the lectionary is just a set of readings we use every year, every week. And um, in the in Vatican II, the Roman Catholics developed the three-year lectionary. Well, what did the Lutherans do next time they made a hymnal? Oh, we got to have a three-year lectionary too because the Roman Catholics got a three-year lectionary, <laughs> right? And so um, there are trickle-down effects of Vatican II but um, that affect the church. But it's not just liturgical. There are there are other things too, like the way that Roman Catholics think about divorce, the way Roman Catholics thought about um, uh, how how to handle things like birth control and marriage. Yeah. A lot of it changes in Vatican II, and then there are trickle down effects into the LCMS. So um, that's worth mentioning. You can just like read the Wikipedia article on that or something if you're interested. All right, and then um, the, my hopeful note is that. Despite all these kind of things that change and a lot of the negativity that we've mentioned, um, I, I, I'm trying really hard not to be too negative about the sexual revolution. Obviously, the sexual and um, revolution has had a lot of negative effects, but um, the church is the safe haven for truth, right? The church is the safe haven for families, for Christian families, right? And, and for, for uh, any family in some regard, right, that in the church, we're not going to lie about what sex is. We're not going to lie about what marriage is, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to lie about what the family is. Mm-hmm. And the church is also the place of forgiveness, right? So for um, women who have had abortions, right, for um, people who have been through divorces and um, for people who have <clears> – <throat> experience some of the negative effects of the sexual revolution, the church is the place of forgiveness, right? The church is the place of hope. The church is the place where you can find restoration and healing. And so um, I want to leave on that hopeful note that um, it doesn't matter what changes in the world. We have an unchangeable gospel, mm-hmm. and 
we can give that to the world that needs it, right? So that's my that's my message of hope to end on. All right, any final questions or comments? Sorry I went over time, but I wanted to kind of finish this before mm-hmm. our long break. I will answer your question. Well, you have to go back to the whole thing again because we're going to Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. I will answer Norman's question when we come back. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we pray that you would continue to bless uh, the Word and Sacrament ministry here at the church, and that we would be the place of forgiveness and hope for all those who would hear your Word and, and come to faith in your Son. We pray through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.